Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 13th of February, and this is Govind Rajathiraj broadcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital, and our top stories and themes for the day. Falling food prices bring down inflation to a three-month low. How many India-facing exchange-traded fund on Wall Street is beating the S&P 500? The Securities and Exchange Board of India wants to increase scrutiny of initial public offers. Is that too late? Will cutting of import duties on electronics components help the electronics industry? And why are prices of chicken falling while everything else is going up? This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Falling food prices bring down inflation. Inflation is falling, just like we said yesterday, basis of course what many others have said, but these are people we believe, and of course there are polls saying as much in recent weeks. The Consumer Price Index or CPI-based inflation for January for the country came in at a three-month low of 5.1%, according to the Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementations data. In December, retail inflation had touched a four-month high of about 5.7%, following about 5.5% in November. Food inflation, which accounts for nearly half of the overall consumer price basket, rose about 8.3% in Jan, and that was lower than the 9.5% in December. So Jan, food inflation, I repeat, was 8.3% compared to 9.5% in December. So prices of cereals, which includes rice and wheat, rose about 7.8% year-on-year in Jan, compared to 9.9% in the previous month. But vegetable prices, and this is a figure we'll return to later, rose 27% only marginally lower, rather less than a percent lower than what it was in December, according to data. So vegetable inflation is obviously still high and an interesting contrast to meats, which we will come to later in the core report today. The Reserve Bank of India had retained its inflation forecast for 23-24, which, as you know, ends next month at 5.4%. For the current quarter, that's Q4, the projection was lower to 5% from 5.2%. Meanwhile, the index of industrial production growth for December 23, released by the same body, that's the Ministry of Statistics, was 3.8 compared to 2.4% recorded in November. So this is for December versus November. November had witnessed the lowest IIP growth since March 2023, when it was 1.7%. So very broadly, lower inflation and higher industrial production in the last month. The stock markets were down, however, in anticipation of all this data, possibly, which clearly turned out okay, though, for or they were down for other reasons. The BSE Sensex was down 523 points to end at 71,072, while the Nifty 50 was down 166 points at 21,616. The broader markets were lower, that's the BSE mid-cap and the BSE small-cap, which were down 2.6 and 3.16%. Now, A quick recap from Wall Street. The S&P 500 has climbed 5.4% to start 2024 and closed above 5,000 for the first time on Friday, which was the 10th record of the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has also risen and risen about 2.6%, setting 11 records along the way, says the Wall Street Journal. India facing exchange-traded fund scores on Wall Street Journal. The CNBC is reporting that India is becoming a favorite emerging market for investors looking for long-term upsides and one ETF has done a better job at capturing those returns than its peers. The Wisdom Tree India Earnings ETF or EPI has a total return of about 6.6% through February 8 according to FactSet and is up about 19% over the last three months. 
EPI 3M Mountain Wisdom Trees EPI has been outperforming all other major India ETFs. The Wisdom Tree Fund is also beating the S&P 500, which is up less than 5% over the same period. The Wisdom Tree Fund has had an average annualized return of roughly 12% over the past decade, according to CNBC. Wisdom Tree's global CIO or Chief Investment Officer, Jeremy Schwartz, told CNBC that the story in India has been that it's got one of the better population profiles, it's got a long-term growth story, but people know that, so they pay so much more for it. He also said that most of the large-cap indexes for India today are holding about 50, 7,500 stock, but they have over 400 companies. And one success is winning over investors and has brought in about $400 million of net inflows this year and has about $2.5 billion in assets. SEBI to increase scrutiny of IPOs. Back home, India's market regulator, the Securities and Exchange Board of India, is increasing scrutiny of issue documents filed by companies going public. Reuters is reporting basis sources amidst a general rise in IPOs in the Indian markets, which of course you know. Now, this sounds a little like closing the proverbial stable door after the horses have bolted or have been bolting for a while, and also implicitly seems to admit that the previous IPOs were cleared without sufficient scrutiny. Of course, I wouldn't want to build too many conclusions on the basis of just one report, but SEBI chairperson Madhavi Puri Butch did say last month that they were investigating three initial public offerings or IPOs for allegedly inflating the number of subscriptions received. They did not disclose the names of the companies. When I say they, I mean SEBI. But they did say that they were working on measures to curtail such malpractices. And many of these cases involved smaller company IPOs. Now, there are other regulations on how long the promoters or owners have to stay locked into their shares, depending on what the utilization of the fundraise in that IPO is. For example, retiring debt may have a shorter lock-in than capital expansion. All of this suggests that some of these norms were flouted. And... Now, going forward, this also increases the paperwork for companies because they have to now declare in greater detail what they want to use the funds for. In some ways, or some small ways, this is also going back to the not-so-good old days of controls. But hopefully, there will be some compromise. And of course, companies have to be more honest in their intent. Oil prices fall on tensions likely easing in the Middle East. Oil prices fell after rising steadily last week after Iran's foreign minister flagged the Israel-Hamas conflict could be moving closer to a diplomatic solution, according to Bloomberg. Brent fell about 1.1% to below $82 a barrel after gaining almost 6% last week. Oil has traded within a band of about $10 for most of this year as nervousness over the conflict in the Middle East has been partially offset by ample global supply and a shaky demand outlook, especially in China, which is the second biggest consumer, according to Bloomberg as we've been pointing out in the core report as well. Interestingly, Goldman Sachs analysts said in a note that there are other reasons oil demand could fall, being a surge in electric vehicle sales, in China that is. Among other big news in the oil industry, also suggesting that consolidation is continuing, the Wall Street Journal is now reporting that rivals Diamond Back Energy and Endeavor Energy Resources are merging to create a $50 billion oil behemoth. Endeavor has been one of the most prized businesses in the consolidating Permian Basin, the largest U.S. oil patch that straddles West Texas and New Mexico, according to the Wall Street Journal. And this is a good time to look back at the major energy deals of the last year via the Wall Street Journal again. Exxon launched a nearly $60 billion all-stock deal to buy Pioneer last fall, followed by Chevron's $53 billion all-stock deal to purchase Hess in the same month. Occidental Petroleum late last year revealed an $11 billion agreement to buy West Texas producer Crown Rock. Last month, energy company APA 
said it would buy smaller peer Callan Petroleum in a deal valued at about $4.5 billion, including debt. Elsewhere in the energy space, Southwestern Energy and Chesapeake Energy merged in January, creating one of the largest natural gas producers in the United States. Import duties on mobile phones are down. How effective will that be for the electronics ecosystem? India can become a major and competitive producer of mobile phones globally if it is able to source components more cheaply. As it turns out, many components of mobile phones are imported from other countries, including high-value parts like semiconductor chip. If import duties are high, then it obviously becomes uncompetitive to produce in India, whether it is for India or imports. Remember, if you can buy a phone overseas and bring it here, though the number is small, you would rather do that than buying locally. Now, the government two weeks ago cut import duties on a number of mobile phone components like battery covers, front covers, SIM sockets and screws to 10% from 15%, which it was earlier. Now, the initial feedback on this move is that the impact on final prices of the mobile phone in India will be very minimal, barely 2-3%. to Incidentally, the Economic Times quoted an industry study on tariffs on smartphone input components which found that India had the highest tariffs, 8.5% on average, among six other manufacturing nations including China which had 3.7% on average and Vietnam 0.7% on average. So the larger question obviously is to do with the ecosystem since that's part of the larger mission to make India an electronics manufacturing hub, including of course and led by companies like Apple. I spoke with Neil Shah. Vice President at technology market research firm CounterPoint Research and I began by asking him how he was viewing the duty cuts in the context of overall mobile phone and electronics production in the country. The current slashing of the duties, I think it's for components which are basically very difficult to, I would say, localize at this point. There are some small components, but again, all those components which where the duties have been slashed, correspond to just 2-3% to of the bill of materials of the device. Anyways, right? But there have been difficulties for a lot of OEMs to localize those components. As a result, government, let's relax on those. Tips. Anyways, they are not a part of the major localization strategy for government in terms of the components, right? The major components, if you remember in our discussion before, it's mostly semiconductors, the displays, camera modules, batteries, those corresponds to majority of the bill of materials. So the more focus government should put on and energy on localizing those components and even the OEM. This is a little bit of reprieve for some OEM, which was putting extra effort on localizing these kind of components, which is not actually adding much to the overall localization to India, not even directly affecting anything on any side of things. So you're saying in value terms, this is only 2 or 3% of a mobile phone? The components value is 2 to 3%. And when you look at in terms of localization, it will be a percentage of that 2-3%. So it doesn't add that much value. Got it. So uh, if you were to now look at our overall electronics manufacturing ecosystem, could you just walk us through who are the, I mean, where we are today in terms of total production capacity, how much are we exporting? And then I'll come to the value part. I think we have done a tremendous job since the first Nick in India in 2016. We can India program, PMP, which was at earlier called Based manufacturing program, right? So it started, and since then we have done a tremendous job. 99.5% of the phones are being manufactured in India. And we have moved from importing full CBUs, which is completely built unit, to SKDs, which is semi knockdown units, to completely knockdown units now. Complete knockdown is where we are importing all the components, small components, and 
everything is assembled on the bare PCB over here using advanced technologies, advanced machining tooling. We are also manufacturing a lot of housing, like housing for maybe iPhone. And camera modules are being assembled here. Battery packs are assembled here. This is something which is not happening at full scale, but I think eventually it will happen. Samsung is only one which has a display fab here. But we'll see a lot of things happening on that front also in the future. And overall, I would say close to 250 million units are being, including smartphones and features phones, are being produced in India right now. And that is almost 99%. I would say almost 100 million of phones are close to, of the overall, are exported from India. Using 99.5% of domestic demand is met through domestic production. Let's say we are importing the top-end iPhone 15 as an example, then that's really in that 0.5%. It's very small percentage. Anyway, it's super high-end. And anyways, what happens is, over the time, Apple starts manufacturing or assembling those phones also in India. Obviously, the sophistication level of the high-end iPhones, like the camera won't be assembled here. Obviously, Apple will put some beauty, will paste some beauty on that. But overall, all phones are being assembled. And actually, this year, Apple shift its first phone in India with being manufactured in India, right? The base models, iPhone 15. Right. If you were to now look at what we are manufacturing in India, and if you were to break down the all the components that we are importing, what is the value add that we are doing in India today at this point, particularly in the iPhone or Foxconn? 5% or low in 2016 or so. And now we are up to like 70 to 80% value addition in terms of overall. When you compare it with China, China is close to like 45 to 50%. It's not even 100% like everyone assumes because still they import chips and everything from TSMC, Taiwan and everywhere, right? Samsung. Even displays come from Samsung, like OLED displays, Korea and some fads outside. So Vietnam is somewhere around 33%. So we still have a longer journey to go from other components being manufactured. But since the postile of the industry, which is Apple, trying to put for diversity beyond China and diversifying beyond China, we would see a lot of other suppliers following to build an ecosystem around Apple manufacturing, which will eventually give them scale to even sell to other manufacturers. Again, value add, if I were to ask you in, let's say, number, so let's say if we spend 100 rupees in importing all these components, what is the price that we are selling that product at roughly? I mean, or an average price or what price are we exporting it at? It depends on every OEM has a different margin. So if Apple manufactures at $400, it would sell obviously at $800 because Apple has that margin. But someone like Xiaomi, say premium phone at $300, would sell it for $600, right? So everyone has different margins. But I would say most of the value addition, which we calculate is how many components and software and everything is actually sourced from India, basically, right? From the Indian suppliers and so forth, uh, or supplies based out of India, in Indian factories, basically. So that is 17% right now. But still, we are inputting a lot of components like camera sensors, battery cell, right, which is a major component within the battery pack. If you look at the next, let's say, six months or so, not the whole year, but at least part of this year, how are you seeing fresh investments that are coming in, where they're going, and what is it likely to produce? The fresh investments, as we discussed before, obviously, the biggest impact would be in the semiconductors right from the manufacturing whatever we could have done we have done maximum obviously we would like to have more display fabs like to have more advanced camera module manufacturers like lg coming in so setting up shop because they are our samsung which are almost 
number one, number two when it comes to any even couple of hangies. And the semiconductor fabs with respect to at least packaging coming here as a low hanging utility for us. And we have seen Micron setting up one, right? But the effect will not get immediately within six months or one year. I think 2025, second half onwards, maybe some level of packaging will add value and take a value to another maybe two to three percent by end of 2025. And beyond it will then scale. Right, Neil. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, thank you. Why are chicken prices going down? We were talking about inflation early in the show. Vegetable prices rose 27% compared to a little over 27% in December, according to the latest inflation data. Now, the figures have been shifting around, but there's not been much change in the last year or so. On the other hand, meat and fish inflation levels are just at 1.19% or 1.2%. Latest figures, that is. Once again, there have not been or there has not been much change in the last year. Egg prices are rising a little more with inflation around 5.6% right now. The larger question is, of course, how and why chicken prices are staying low. While not everyone consumes chicken, a good source of protein, by the way, its low prices obviously suggest demand and supply are matched or demand is low. I reached out to Ricky Thapar, who is an industry person and treasurer of the Poultry Federation of India. And I began by asking him, of course, why were chicken prices staying low and even egg prices had not moved that much. You see, the rate keeps fluctuating month wise. Because this is all demand and supply. During winter season, the egg consumption increases. So, egg demand was very good and egg rates were high. If we talk about chicken, now the present chicken rates have started improving. But if you are talking about January month, January month was a marriage season and it was too cold and foggy. So, during that, late night outing is very less. Like going to restaurants and hotels where maximum consumption of chicken and meat is there. So due to fog, I'm talking about North India and marriage season, the consumption was less. But now the weather is improving, so the consumption is also improving and the rates have also are now increasing. So we hope in February the rates of broiler will be much better if you compare to January month. Right. But if you look at year-on-year, year, I'm looking at year-on-year year figures, Ricky. Overall consumption. So... If I look at vegetable, prices are 27% up. Chicken is, I don't know the exact number, but it's either around 1% or even less. So overall, chicken prices are not rising for more than a year now and seem to be staying low. So why is that happening, very broadly speaking? Uh, basically, anything is to do with demand and supply. Now, the poultry industry is growing at the pace of 9 to 10% in broilers and in layer egg industry, it's growing 5 to 7%. Production is more. So that's why we are balancing demand and supply. So there is no shortage of chicken or eggs. So that's why rates are being maintained. From the demand side, how would you say, I mean, how have prices been behaving in the last couple of years? And I literally mean, let's say 2023 and 2022. The price have been slightly increasing because the cost of production has also gone high. In chicken, the 65% cost is the cost of feed. And in poultry feed, it's mainly soybean meal and maize, which is corn. So if you see this year, corn prices have gone very high because of the demand of corn from the starch industry and now from the ethanol industries also demand is there. So the feed prices, which used to be 36 to 38,000 rupees per metric ton, are now 40,000 to 42,000. There has been 10% increase in feed rate, which has increased the cost of production. 
So farmer profit has also decreased. Five to seven percent demand is also increasing. But you're saying supply is keeping pace because of which prices are not going up or prices are steady. Absolutely right. Is there any change in terms of consumer behavior when it comes to eating chicken either outside or at home in the last couple of years? Now the Indian consumer are shifting from wet market to dressed chicken market because of better hygiene, reliable supplies and reasonable price. There are opportunities as companies, poultry companies are setting up processing plant, cold chain facilities, sale counter to reach the final consumer. Like the fast food chains are coming like McDonald's, KFC, they all require a processed chicken. And even the like leashes and other companies who are doing online delivery, now the poultry is shifting to more into processed meat industry. Earlier it used to be wet market. Yes, actually, quite interestingly, on this show, just a few days ago, we spoke to someone who pointed out how, you know, the share of KFC had gone up quite sharply in the last year or so, because people were buying more fried chicken from quick service restaurants. So how are you seeing demand and supply in the next six months to a year, Ricky? I mean, broadly, I mean, going by current trends? You see, if we see the growing consumer demand, today India is second position in egg production in the world after US and China, and sixth position in the broiler production. But when we talk about per capita, it's still very less if we compare with the international. So still there is a good scope. Poultry will increase, but at the same time, consumption, they are matching both production as well as demand and supply, they are matching. So rates are going to be stable only. If we talk about per capita consumption of meat, it's only 5.7 kg per person per annum and 91 eggs per person per annum. So definitely scope is there. Now more as the middle class income is improving, they are spending more. Especially after the COVID time. Now even the doctors are recommending to go for good protein diet, go for eggs, go for chicken. And today chicken is the cheapest source of protein if we compare with any other protein. Seeing the market scope, at the same time, if poultry industry demand is in growing by 7 to 8%, and similarly, the production is also increasing. If we talk about agriculture, you see, agriculture growth is only 2%. But if we talk about livestock and poultry growth, that's 7 to 8%. Like our Honorable Prime Minister says, we have to double the farmer income. So only through poultry, dairy, fisheries, aqua, we can double the farmer income. So now more and more agriculture farmers are converting into poultry, dairy and aquaculture. So poultry is definitely going to expand at the same pace as the demand will be there. So like there will be no shortage of anything. Right. And that applies to eggs too. I mean, we talked about chicken, but and you're saying while egg prices have been rising a little more. Yeah. You're saying that eggs yes. too, we are able to match demand with supply. Absolutely. And you see egg prices also remaining roughly steady for the rest of the year because we are seeing some hikes there. Again, like in India, lot of religious and festivals are there when the people become vegetarian. So on those special months, the demand goes down. Like we'll be having Navratras in April. Then a similarly, Savan month will be there in July, August. So during those religious periods, the demand goes down. Right. Ricky, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. That's it for me for today. Have a great day ahead. That was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. 
do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in do also track us on linkedin where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant including of course india's vibrant manufacturing sector so write to us at feedback@thecore.in at and thank you once again for listening <laughs>